Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas. Brought to you by James Hardy Siding, the best siding on the planet. Michael, how can I help you? Thank you for taking my call. Uh, I just bought a old plank style house built in the late 1800s. And of course, there's no studs in the walls, um, just the planks. There's also no insulation. So I was thinking about building out an interior second wall. And I'm, I can't oh, oh, get a straight oh, answer on. from anyone. Let's, yeah, let's oh. back up, though. You, you said there's no studs in the walls? There is. There's no studs in the wall. The, the oh, yes. planks are actually the structure. Uh, you're gonna, what you're going to find is there's studs behind the planks. There's planks on the outside and planks on the inside. Right. And I've, I've pulled off big sections of the planks, and there are no studs. And I, I've researched, and this is an old style of uh, construction that was used up north. And um, so it's creating some issues for me, of course. i, I got to be honest. I've, and I've worked on a lot of these old, old homes. I've never seen one without any. What's holding the planks together, then? Uh, the planks are nailed top and bottom uh to a header and footer and that is the entire structure the the exterior wall is entirely hollow well yeah being hollow doesn't surprise me because yeah they're all hollow but uh well i mean mean, no no studs in there i i took off uh on one section uh 10 foot wide absolutely zero studs okay so Okay, you're gonna have to. And excuse me, but I'm gonna. Ask, I gotta ask you some questions here because you you got me. Sure, going right absolutely. Now. Okay, you're saying that it's nailed on top and bottom. So are the boards running right. up and down instead of sideways? Yes, they are. It's not shiplap. It's uh-huh. just it's planks. Uh, they're about one and a half inches thick. Okay. And twelve inches wide. And and they run top to bottom instead of side to side. Top to bottom. Correct. Wow. And so what's on the outside then for siding? Uh, there's wood siding uh, over the exterior planks. I don't uh-huh. think that's original, but um, um, it's, it's just that, that's running side to side. Okay. So this must have been a, a fairly small house at one time, then it's probably been expanded? It has. I, I can tell they're, uh, based on the construction, some of the walls do have studs at the, the back of the house. Yeah. And so it started out, it, it looks like a four-room house originally, uh, maybe even smaller, that they yep. expanded over the years. Okay. Wow. Interesting construction. <laughs> okay. So uh, on the inside, did they did they put sheetrock over it eventually, or, or what's on the walls inside? Um, well, um, they had paneled over the planks. Uh-huh. Uh, they never put sheetrock, and that's okay. one of the things that I'm wanting to do is to – uh, I'm pulling off the old wood paneling, and then I I want to end up with a sheetrock wall inside. Okay, and so you're what you, what are you wanting to do with it? Uh, did you say you want to insulate? Yes, uh, I want to insulate, and it's I don't want to tear off too much since I found out this is the 
structural support. It makes me yes. nervous pulling off sections of planks. So yes. what I was thinking about doing was building a new interior wall to the existing wall. Okay, and, and you're only going to do it on with, the outside walls. Yes. Yeah. And so then I could add insulation, and it'll be standard construction with studs. Yeah. Um, and it also allows me to run all new wiring, and um, it, it's old, old wiring, so I want to get that replaced at the same time. Sure. i, I tell you My what I would look quest, at doing. Oh, sure. I would use, yeah. instead of 2 by 4 studs, I would use the two by three studs, run my wires okay. and everything, and then use spray foam insulation on it. Okay. All right. Now, should I put a vapor barrier between the existing plank wall and the new wall? You know, it, no, because you've got siding on the outside, and there should be a vapor barrier behind that siding on the outside. There's and not. So I, I, Again, there's this not. is old construction. No. Well, typically, even in the old construction, though, they would put a uh, tar paper or something. They didn't put anything? No. Uh, the only thing in the airspace between the two plank walls, um, they've got a, um, a layer of burlap, just a single okay. layer of burlap material. Uh-huh. Uh, but, but no other vapor barrier. Then, as far as a vapor barrier, yes, Put something up like a Tyvek so it's breathable, but, okay. can, but it can stop if water itself tries to come through. Okay. And normally I wouldn't right. do that, uh, especially with spray foam insulation, but you're, you're not dealing with normal here. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, definitely no plastic, okay. though. Okay. I, I do appreciate that. Uh-huh. All right. It's going to be an interesting task. Hey, would you do me a favor? <laughs> sure. Have you got pictures of this? Uh, I do. I'm taking pictures as I do everything. So uh, I would I'd be glad love to, to, to see you. some of the pictures. Yes. It's. I've, I've done a lot of old houses, and this one just had me stymied. It's actually the house my wife grew up in, and I've been told by the style of construction it's probably. Uh, mid to late 1800s. Okay, see, I've only worked on stuff going back to about 1890, and this must predate <laughs> see, that. that's it. Yeah. I just stimmed you. Yep. <laughs> All right, I will, I will get some pictures out to you. Thank you. Well, thank you very much. We'll talk to you later. Steve, how are you today? i got a question. I make my own screens for my windows, uh-huh. and I have... Uh, windows in, in my house that have a rounded top, and I'm having a problem finding the framing in the Metroplex for a source where I can buy those rounded frames. Uh, I can make the square frames with no problem, but I'm, the, the rounded top part is the part that I'm having a problem finding, and I was wondering sure. if maybe you do have a source here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area where I could go and give them the width measurements of my window and mm-hmm. go ahead and get the uh, the rounded top to add on to the frame of my screen. Have you tried Elliott's hardware? Uh, I haven't tried anything but Home Depot and Lowe's. Try Elliott's hardware. Okay. And Elliott's, uh, they have 
uh, a department that does screens and things like that, and uh, I think they'd be able to help you out with that. Okay, great. Well, thank you for your time. You bet. You take care, Steve. All right. Bye-bye. And and I'm going to be honest. I'm like everybody else. I need something, yeah, I go to the box stores, I go to Lowe's, I go to Home Depot and stuff, but they carry a very limited supply of things. In other words, they're carrying what everybody wants on a regular basis, something that they can move quick. When it comes to specialty stuff, that ain't your store. You got to get into the specialty stores then. Eric, how are you? Hey, good afternoon, sir. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. How about you? I'm all right. Uh, so I uh, had a question about uh, air conditioning. I've got uh, a house that I'm building right now, and I'm mainly concerned with the, the second story. Uh, and as far as the uh, the location of the return air, um, I guess a little bit more detail is that uh, I'm I'm going to do some uh, some some trusses uh, for the floor or the ceiling, however you want to look at it, uh, uh-huh. on, the, on the second story. And I was looking at, uh, at possibly using those gap, the gaps in the trusses to, to run both uh, return and receive air in. Okay. And I was just wondering if that's, um, if that's, uh, going to be a bad thing in comparison to, say, having return air just on the floor and receive on the top, because, uh, you know, cold air rises, or, or, or warm air rises, rather, and uh, and I'm just wondering if, uh, how big of a difference does it make as far as cooling during the summertime, Well, as far as the location? First, let's start with basic layouts of stuff. The air coming back into a room from an air conditioning unit, in Texas, we normally put them in the ceilings. And in northern states, they normally have them in the floors. And the reason for the difference is we're more concerned with air conditioning uh, for cooling. And for cooling purposes, it's more efficient to have the air coming in up high because hot air rises the cool air comes in, circulates it, and you know keeps your temperatures balanced. In northern states, they're more interested in heating, and it's basically just the opposite. The air, the warm air, comes up through the floor, goes up, circulates the air in the room, and again balances out, keeps the room comfortable. Now, when you're talking about return air, are you talking about the air going back to the air conditioning unit? That's right. Yeah. So, so I'd have a return in each room. And that uh, is that is the norm the, these days, isn't it? Yeah, that's the ideal situation is to have air going back to the room from every room. In fact, in my own house, I I do have mine set up that way. Now, most homes they have just you know the air return like in a hallway or something like that, and they it's just a cost saving thing. But if uh-huh. for comfort and uh, the 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 system it is better to have a return air in each room. And there's a couple things that you can do by doing that. One, you know, when you got just the return air in the hallway, all the doors have to be cut shorter so that air can be pulled underneath the door to circulate air in in a room. Otherwise, if you close the door, 
uh, the air conditioning system is just not going to get enough room or enough air into that room to keep it comfortable. That particular room would start heating up and then you open up the door and all of a sudden it'll start cooling down again. With a return air in each room, you can use an, an outside type door and that room will be comfortable because it's always, you know, got air circulating in the room. So it, it is, that is the ideal way to do a air conditioning system in a home. Hello, Carl. Hey, Jim, how you doing today? Wonderful. Good. I got a question. I am planning on uh, getting uh, one of them steel carports put up on the side of the house here. Yeah. And I've got a slope down there, and they won't install on a slope. So I was thinking about uh, building in like a U-shaped cinder block wall on that area there. And I was wondering how deep should I make the footing here? I'm up uh, north of Huntsville. And it's pretty much all gumbo clay uh -huh. up here. Well, how how high are, is the wall going to be? Uh, the, it's going to be fairly small, just like one brick high at the front of the thing, and then maybe 35, 40 foot back, it'll probably be, it's about a 4% grade, so probably about uh, maybe three bricks high on the back. Uh, bricks or blocks? Blocks, I should say. Okay, so it's going to be roughly uh, 24 inches tall? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's okay. about right. I, you know, if I was putting in a little wall like that, I would put a, a base underneath it of uh, concrete, and I, typically I would use dry concrete as my base. I would use a vibrating machine, uh, you know, one of those compactors to uh -huh. make it nice and flat and pack it real good uh, and come up off of that, and that base would be anywhere from six to eight inches thick. Okay. Now that will that will build you a nice little retaining wall type thing that is not repairable. If yeah, it ever that's moves, the thing. You, you uh, got to tear sorry, it go down. Ahead. If you want to build it to where if it moves, you could you know underpin it and pick it up and stuff. Then I would tell you dig down and put a twelve inch concrete base. You know, pour it with rebar and everything in it, and come up off of that with your blocks. Okay, I may want to do that because natural drainage in the area that's uh -huh. been dragging all the uh, all the sand from the sod that was laid up in this area at one time. It's been just dragging everything, and it runs right down through this area. So uh, then dig it down, put the put the concrete with rebar in there, uh, and then since you're going to be putting blocks on it anyways, put some uh, rebar sticking up out of the concrete to put into the holes of the blocks, and yes, that'll sir. make a nice secure wall where you don't have to worry about it. Okay. As soon as the drainage... And I'm, i got to put you on hold. i got to take a real quick break. We'll be right back. All right. When we left, I was talking with uh, Carl. And Carl, are you there still? I sure am, sir. Sorry about that. No worries. No worries. I just appreciate your show and appreciate everything you do, man. Thank you. Um, okay. Seeing as uh, uh, there's kind of a natural drainage going right through this area here, should, yeah. you think I should set up a drainage area in there, like ditch it down, put in some uh, uh, some uh, drain tube and rock yeah, on top if, of it? If the water, you know, if the drainage is going through that way, what you would normally do is put like a 12-inch wide ditch on the inside of it, have pipes running through your wall, and f uh, put a fabric, a silt fabric in there. Yes, and sir. fill it with gravel so that when the water goes through, it hits that that uh, gravel, drops down into those pipes, and, and on through without pushing on the wall. 
Okay. A okay. lot of times, though, for a really short wall like that, it's not needed. But once you start hitting that two-foot mark, yeah, it becomes necessary. Yeah, I just want to avoid something down the line with the thing falling apart on me. Now, one last thing. When you build a wall like that, you typically want to have your first block on it, on something that's, say, two foot tall like that. Put at least half of that first block in the ground. Okay, okay. Okay. Get that get that sunk down a bit, so dig myself down about uh, yep. a little better than 12 inches and, like, about, maybe 16 about a inches foot and, a half. and then get yep. the first block down in the ground? Yep. Okay, well, I will do it, sir. Have a good one. Thank you very much, man. Let's see here. Lynn, you're going to be up first. How can I help you today, Lynn? Hi. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Um, we have a drain where the AC unit drains out of. It's like right outside of my bedroom where my bedroom is downstairs. Uh-huh. And it's draining all over the place. And my, I told my husband, can he put like plumbing tubes or something so that it can drain properly? But then he said it won't have air to drain properly and it will clog. Do you have any advice? Yeah, is this a a little tube that's sticking out of the soffit up there, and it's draining yeah. right above, uh, right out a window, right? Right, right above yeah. the window. Yes. You got a problem with your air conditioner? Oh, we do. Yes, that's your secondary drain. Oh. Uh, your primary drain has a plug in it, and eventually, what's going to happen is, if you go up in the attic and look, you got water getting into the pan under the air conditioning unit. Uh-huh. Eventually, that's going to overflow and start ruining sheetrock. You need to get somebody out there to clean out the primary drain, okay. uh, and and so that you're not dependent on the secondary. Uh, okay. All right. So you just started getting this problem recently, didn't you? I, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it is. Uh, okay. All right. I. We thought it was the primary drain. Well, I thought it was the primary drain. I don't know about my husband. Okay. Well, uh, who should... Husbands don't want to deal with things like this. They just want to kick back, watch the game on TV, and, you know... (laughs) You're describing him perfectly. (laughs) Hey, I know I am one. (laughs) Um, Who do you recommend? Uh, Actually, you can call my company, Due West Air Conditioning. Okay. Any AC company can do it for you, but we would be more than happy to help you with it. Oh, okay. So the... So you, basically, it's the first primary drain is clogged. That's yes, why the ma'am. secondary one is. Yep. Doing that? Oh yep. my goodness. Okay. All right. Thank you for your help. You bet, Lynn. Take care. You too. Bye bye. Bye. Hello, Richard. How are you? Hey, Jim. Not too bad. How are you doing? Wonderful. Hey, on the radiant barrier, you were talking about laying it down. Yeah. So, um, um, after I lay it down, can I still deck the attic over it? You know, normally uh, I would tell you deck the attic first and then put the radiant barrier over the decking. Take some spray paint and paint the edges where the uh, deck edges are so you know where you can step. But if you don't have decking down, absolutely, you can put the radiant barrier down and put the deck over it. The nice thing about this Energy Q radiant barrier, most radiant barriers are a single ply. They've got to have a dead air space. Energy Q is a multi-layer system that has a thermal break in the middle, so it can be sandwiched in between materials, so it would work just fine. Okay, now here's the other part. What if um, I'm obviously decking so I can put stuff up in the attic? Sure. Should I, should I spray something on, you know, on the, uh, the decking from the underside, or can no. the radiant barrier be, be stapled the, up to it? The radiant barrier will be just fine by itself. 
up on the that's what I'm saying to cool my attic a little bit more. If I put oh, the if you want to cool the attic, also, yeah, you can put now if you, if and if you're going to try to cool the attic itself, I still would put the energy cue on the attic floor. And and I will tell you the way my house is done, I've got energy cue on the attic floor, and I've got the plywood with the radiant barrier on my roof deck. Yes. Yep. And so okay. it helps to lower that attic temperature as well as keep the heat from getting into my insulation. Yep. Okay. Okay. Well, you answered my question. I appreciate Alrighty. it. Alrighty. Take care. Thank you, Sergio. Welcome to Texas Home Improvement. Thank you, uh, Jim. I got a question for you. Essentially, I got a shower upstairs in my master bath. I recocked it, and I still have a leak going on, and I just don't know where to check out. Okay, and is it a tub shower or a stand a standalone shower? It's a standalone shower. Okay, the water. You are you getting water through the ceiling downstairs, or what are you getting? Uh, I just got it in my. I guess in my closet, there's a, just a, a standing puddle of water there, and I, I haven't seen anything dripping through on the underside in my ceilings anywhere. Okay. Well, it has to be one of two places then. It can either be that the shower pan is leaking or the pipe that goes from the shower valves up to the shower head has a leak. So the easiest way to find out which one it is is, first of all, plug the drain, fill the shower up with water, and see if you get water that comes out and stands. If you do... That tells you that it's in the shower pan. If you don't, you know, and it doesn't continue, then that would indicate that it's in the shower head, you know, the pipe going up to the shower head. In order to fill that shower pan, though, so that you can distinguish, use a five-gallon bucket and the tub, you know, just fill it up and dump the water into the shower rather than running the shower. That way you can distinguish which one it's causing the problem. Uh, on the shower floor is that a, a tile floor or is it one of the man-made uh solid piece floors it's a solid piece okay that's that's even better because in where the drain goes through that there's a big nut that they tighten up on a rubber gasket to seal around the pipe and every once in a while doesn't happen often, but every once in a while, one of those will start to leak. And if that's the case, usually that nut can be tightened up a little bit, and it solves the problem. So it's it's either going to be in that, but i got to be honest, most of the time when I start hearing these kind of things, it's usually in the pipe going up to the shower head. Okay. Um, I did turn it off for a week and just not use it at all, and everything dried up fine. Right. I mean, would that still allude to the shower head? Yes, because the shower head only has water going to it when the valve is turned on. Okay. You, you got two pipes that come up, you know, one for hot, one for cold, to where the valve is. And then there's a single pipe that goes up to the shower head. And okay. that, that single pipe that goes up to the shower head is the one that, for some reason, are notorious for getting leaks in them. So I'm going to probably have to rip out the backside of that drywall and replace all that copper piping. Just that, just that one section. And and like I said, though, before I'd get into doing that, let's use a five-gallon bucket and fill that shower pan first. All right. Great. Well, thank you very much, Jim. I appreciate it. You bet, Sergio. Good luck with that. When we left, I was talking about 
a fence that had hail damage. And uh, let me just go through that real quick again. Had hail damage, wind damage to their backyard on 326. And they got 90 foot of fence now that is all zigzagged. The fence was two foot deep into the ground. And with the wind, it just couldn't handle it from the storm. They got barking dogs in the yard. They want a, a fence that's going to help with the sound going to neighbors. And first of all, and fence companies are telling them they don't know anything better than that's just solid pickets. Okay, first, let's talk about barking dogs. All offenses in the world will not stop the sound from a barking dog. And as a neighbor, yeah, I'm sure people get aggravated by it. Are there fences that will help with the sound? Absolutely. But let's talk about your, your fence posts first. Two foot into the ground is probably not quite enough. I mean, if you're going to put a, uh, oh, let, let's say a six foot fence up and you use an eight foot pole, your fence actually, your post should actually be in the ground almost three feet. Uh, and, and I say that because if the fence pickets are six foot tall and you only put two feet in the ground, your post is as tall as the fence. Normally, your your uh, top rail is going to be about 10 to 12 inches below the top of the fence. So that would put your post a little bit deeper, which helps to make it a little bit more solid. Secondary thing, though, that happens is our soils, when they dry out, they shrink. When they get wet, they expand. Well, if your fence was put in when the soils were wet and everything was expanded, the first time we get real dry, the fence posts become loose and wobbly. And so that's where people run into a problem. Uh, the, the best thing you're going to be... Now, there are some things you can do to, to help stabilize it. One, if you can get it back up straight, they actually make foam that you can inject now for fence posts and, thing, and uh, mailboxes and stuff like that. You can actually put that around the concrete to help stabilize it and keep the fence straight. But I will tell you, as the soil moves, your fence will move as well. The deeper you go, the more stable your fence will be to that movement. So, uh, you know, again, the depth, the, the, it's all in the depth. As far as other fences you could look at putting up besides just a regular picket fence, and the advantage to this one I'm going to talk to you about is even if the fence starts leaning a little bit, it won't show as much. When you're running a flat fence where you just got the picket standing straight up, uh, when it leans just a little bit, it sticks out like a sore thumb. If you take one by four, instead of using six inch cedar pickets, use one by four boards, and you literally, you nail it on the inside on the one of the four by four posts, you take it over to the outside on the next post, then the next board up crisscrosses from the inside to the outside. So it's you're basically weaving these boards as you're coming up the fence. Guess what? You still got a solid fence. The sound will still bounce off of it. It looks very cool. I used to have one at my house when I lived in San Antonio. I loved it. It was, it, was, it was very unusual. Now, it was a little bit, when it came time to replace that fence, it was a little bit of a pain in the butt replacing it because a lot of the fence guys don't want to mess with it because it does take a little bit of effort to 
put it together. It's not just boom, 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 hitting it with the nail gun and going. You've got to take your time to weave the boards. But kills the sound. And I'm not so sure that it won't kill the sound better than a, a just a straight, solid fence, you know, picket fence would. Uh, but more so than that, it, if your fence does lean a little bit, it helps cover that up. Uh, and it'll handle the, the hail damage and stuff actually better than the regular picket. The other thing that you have to keep in mind, you know, a lot of times people will say, well, yeah, the, those 1x4s are going to cost more than the than the 1x6 pickets do. You're absolutely right. But you eliminate all the 2x4s. And so cost-wise, in the end, is roughly the same because you're eliminating the 2x4s that are running across. It's all done with the 1x4s. And again, it looks gorgeous. So a uh, little tidbit there to, to help you out with that fencing issue. Had an email question come in. And, you know, normally this is something that you only do if you're getting ready to buy a new air conditioning system. Please give me an idea as to how much it would cost to conduct a manual J inspection of my home. It is approximately 3,000 square feet and uh, has two AC units. The upstairs is approximately 600 square foot. The downstairs, 2,400 square foot. Well, like I said, a manual J is something that's normally done when you're getting ready to have an air conditioning system change out. And what the manual J does, they come in, they look at the insulation, they look at what you have for windows, which way the windows are facing, how many doors you have, uh, you know, uh, all the stuff, how much attic insulation you have, everything gets plugged into a computer program, and then it spits out what size air conditioner you should have for that home. Because if you oversize an air conditioner, and I'm, I'm cautioning everybody now, because if the system comes out and says you need a four-ton, and you say, well, let's put a five-ton in, that way I know I'm comfortable, you can have just the opposite effect. What makes an air conditioning system work properly is it's cycling properly. An air conditioner is more than just a cooling machine. It's a dehumidifier. And if it's not on long enough, it doesn't dehumidify properly. So you can drop the temperature as much as you want, but the humidity is so high that you're uncomfortable in the home. That's why it's critical to have a manual J done before you have an air conditioning system changed out. But the contractor who is selling you the air conditioning system they're supposed to be doing that manual J. So if you're looking at buying an air conditioner and they're not doing a manual J, get another contractor. Because if he, if he's going to shortcut on the on the manual J, he's going to shortcut other things. And you don't want the system from him. A lot of times we get in our heads that uh you know, air conditioner is an air conditioner. It's like buying a car. Well, it's not. An air conditioning system is a service as well as the air conditioner. Yes, that carrier unit, whether you know you get a, a four-ton carrier and a four-ton carrier, and they can be the exact same models unit, the whole nine yards. One can operate very efficiently, and one could cost you hundreds of dollars a month in extra energy bills. And why? Because if it's not properly installed and the piping isn't properly insulated, and the ductwort's not properly sized, 
and sealed, that air conditioning system's just not going to work right. That's why it's critical to have a contractor who performs everything that needs to be done in order to get the proper sizing of both the air conditioning unit and the ductwork for that new unit. When we left, I was talking with Pat, and we were talking about uh, she's seeing streaks, or she saw streaks on her walls as it as the as the uh, walls aged. And Pat, what normally causes that is actually the paint that was used. Oh. Uh, as it as some of the cheaper paints age, and it starts turning to dust. It, it literally comes off the walls because one of the ingredients they put in cheap paint is is a clay. And so as that clay ages and the paint ages, it turns to dust, it comes down where they overlapped the paint because uh, they more than likely sprayed it maybe. Mm -hmm. But where they overlapped, it has a thicker layer, so that becomes a streak and doesn't show as much. So the fact that you had the house repainted now should eliminate the problem. And if, and if you used a good paint, and just for everybody listening, typically if you're not spending a good 30 to, somewhere in the 30 to $45 per gallon range right now, you're getting a lower grade paint. You want to paint with good paints. Uh, if you use a high-end paint, it's not unusual to get 12 to 15 years out of the paint job on an interior of a home. When you use the cheaper paints, you're typically going to get somewhere 8 to 10 years. Okay. So a contractor paint, because I noticed that's what they used when they did paint it. Now, would that be a good quality paint? or Usually contractor-grade paints are some of the lower-grade paints. Okay. So because be contractors okay. are cheap SOBs, and they just don't spend the money on it. Yeah. Okay, so if I gave them, like, Sherwin-Williams, this is what was used before, and uh -huh. then when they paint it as contractors, then that yeah. could be why it's starting to show again, maybe. Yep. So it wouldn't have anything to do with the insulation in the attic or anything like well, that? It, it can. Uh, it, it won't have anything to do with the insulation in the attic, no. One of the things on a ceiling that can make it show is uh, the way it was taped and floated. If if it wasn't sealed properly after it was taped and floated and wasn't textured well, uh, it can show through where the tape and float is. But once you've painted the house a couple times, like you have mm -hmm. already, okay. that would go away. Okay, well, that's good to know. Now, one other question, if sure. I can ask. I noticed, like, soot or something coming from the vents on the ceiling. And at first I thought maybe that was it, but it's just kind of right, right around the vents. Right. When I go up in my attic, I notice there's a lot of dirt on that installation. Like, it's all gray. Do yep. I need to remove that installation? No. And, the, the, the soot is actually because you must have a gas heat, right? I, yeah, I have gas heat. Yeah. It, it needs to be serviced. Okay. Uh, because it's 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 not burning properly where it's blowing soot through and onto the ceilings. Okay. Well, you've been very helpful. I appreciate the information. Pat, you have a wonderful afternoon. All right. You too. Thank you. You bet. Bye-bye. You've just heard the best calls and questions from Texas Home Improvement. For more information about our show, go to THIPro.com. 